Um, we are indeed in part three, and I entitled today's lesson, Bad Apples. Why? Because bad apples, what? Spoil the whole bunch. That's the whole point. And so I entitled the subtitle for today, Choosing Your Relationships Wisely. And I want to begin with a quote by Robert Alden on the page in front of you. He said this, if you want to avoid the devil, stay out of his neighborhood. All right, that works out well. Okay, <laughs> we could just go ahead and pray and close. Uh, I got a question for you as I begin, and it is a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, I would like you to think of all the poor choices that you have made throughout your life. Now, before your head explodes, I need you to categorize them and consider what percentage you made all by yourself and what percentage was made with the influence of other people. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was friends. But as you go back and examine throughout your life, you're going to realize that a lot of these things you didn't do alone. Now, I'm not going to minimize our ability to sin all by ourselves. I'm pretty good at it. I don't need any help. However, I tend to get a lot of help from different people. And that's nice of them in some ways. Um, the idea is that we're trying to make sure that our influences around us are godly. Why? Because of the fill in the blank in front of you. It's this as simple as I could put it. Relationships shape you more than almost anything else. Relationships shape you more than almost anything else. Therefore, in living wisely, we must control and monitor our influences. That is what I believe that Proverbs is calling us to. And I need to make a couple disclaimers as I begin. The first is this. This is not an age restrictive lesson. Here's what I mean. You would think that a lot of the folks that are here today are going to go, wow, I'm so glad that the young kids are here to hear this message because they're the ones that are dealing with peer pressure. Really? You realize that you're not going to stop dealing with peer pressure till you die. You understand that? And here's the problem. The problem is that the young kids are told all the time they have peer pressure, so they're watching out for it. What about you? Everyone stopped talking about your peer pressure, and so you get to live ignorantly in peer pressure and not even know it's shaping you. It is going to continue to shape you until you leave this earth. Peer pressure is powerful and it never changes. In the same way, something else I wanted to highlight before we begin is that look through the outline that I have there in front of you. I have three categories of influences that I want to speak to you today about. First one is what? It's bad role models. Second one is bad friends. And the third one is bad women. Amen. <laughs> oh, did I write relationships? I'm sorry. I meant that women are evil. Okay, no, <laughs> just kidding. When I say things like bad influences, there's a couple of things that I mean. I don't mean people that stumble and are real life people that have difficulty. That's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to address the fact that sometimes you're in a relationship and you have a tendency to maybe err along the way. I think that's natural. I think that's human. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying it's understandable. What I'm talking about is when you or your group of friends is erring in a consistent fashion in a habitual pattern. You go, gosh, we always fail on Wednesdays at seven. OK, if you can plan out your sin like that, there might be a pattern. Does that make sense? So what I'm talking about when I say bad friends, I'm not just talking about your general population. I'm talking about that there are certain people that have a behavioral pattern that is consistent 
with bad behavior. That's who I'm talking about, not just everybody. The other thing you need to understand is that Christians seem to err in one of two ways. Either we get super Christian-y and we can't hang out with anybody that doesn't carry their Bible everywhere. All right? That's one thing. That makes you completely useless as salt and light in the world. That's a waste of time and a waste of a good Christian. The other problem is that we compromise to such a degree that the non-believers have no idea we're believers. You understand what I'm saying? Both of those are equally wrong. We need to find somewhere in the middle. And in the middle, here's where I believe the line must be drawn. I believe that we are called to be friendly with the world, but not be friends with the world. And here's the way I want to describe how those are different. The Bible is very clear that we are to engage the world that we are to love in the world, that we are to hunt down non-believers and say, how can I love on you? What can I do? How can I share with you an extravagant grace? How can I share with you, my Lord? How can I do something for you and meet your needs? That is our job. But that's different than kicking back and being discipled by a non-believer. A friendship in the deepest sense, like the Bible talks about, uses a Greek term koinonia. It's the idea of fellowship. It's the idea of give and take where I formulate you and you formulate me. Take, for example, Russ. He is a very close friend of mine. And so he is shaping me just as much as I am of him. I listen to him just as much because I know that God will speak through him just as much as God speaks through me to him. It doesn't matter. There's no difference. So I'm always allowing him to mold my character, and my being. But I cannot do that with someone that does not know the Lord. They can give me love. They can be kind with me. We can hang out and we can joke around and we can have all kinds of fun together. We can go to the movies. We can do all sorts of things. But I cannot allow them to shape my world because they don't know my Jesus. That is the line I'm talking about drawing. I'm not saying to jump out into some monastery somewhere, withdraw from the world, and shut yourself off from people that need Christ. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you to consistently engage, but beware of the power of the influence that they wield over your lives. Does that make sense? All right. Having said that, we jump into a quote again on the top of your page as we discuss the issue of bad role models. I don't know who said it because everyone says it now, so I don't know where it originated. But the phrase is, you become what you worship. You become what you worship. When I was growing up um, as a young man, uh, one of the guys in sports that was the biggest deal was uh, Michael Jordan. As a matter of fact, there was a whole commercial ad that was tied behind him because you wanted to be like Mike. You remember that? Be like Mike. The idea was this is the epitome of what you want to become. Therefore, you model everything about him so you could be like him. That is where you set somebody up in an idolized fashion and you will alter your behavior to become like them. We have to be very careful on who we role model, very careful on who we allow to be the people we look up to. The danger of this day and age is that with our media culture, you're able to be discipled by people you will never meet, right? As a matter of fact, one of the most powerful mentors in our society today is a woman by the name of Oprah Winfrey. I'm assuming most of you have never met her. However, she will tell you what to eat. She will tell you what books to read. 
She will tell you who is good and who is bad. She will tell you what to think. I'm not telling you that she's a bad person. What I'm telling you is that's a lot of power for one person to yield. To wield, excuse me, that she would be able to tell a whole nation of people what to think. She better be locked in with the Lord if she's got any kind of power like that. And I don't know her walk with Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? So what I'm telling you is all you have to do to find a discipler today, to find a mentor today, is to open up your laptop. Turn on the TV. If you read any author on a consistent basis, you are being discipled by that author. If you listen to any speaker consistently, you are being discipled by that speaker. If there's any pastor or teacher, that one is discipling you. Whether you know it or not, I am discipling you if you continue to come to this church. Why? Because I'm shaping how you think about things. I'm telling you things that are good and things that are bad. We have to watch the influences that pour into our lives. Because when you envy something... You will alter to somehow gain it. And when we're kids, it's really obvious. When you're little kids, you put posters on your walls. And everyone can see very clearly who your idols are. When you're older, you take them off your walls and you put them on your heart. And you carry them around with you. Ladies, as you're going through the checkout stand, there is a million magazines vying for your attention. And what they would like you to do is as you sort through the pages of the magazine, you're going to keep tying in with a given individual. And you go, wow, I wonder what she's wearing. I wonder what she's thinking. I wonder how she lives her life. And you will be discipled by that magazine and that person, even though you've never come in contact with them. And because there are so many influences out there that are not exactly godly, we got to watch it. Because insidiously, subconsciously, we will begin to alter to become just like them. Amen? Amen. As we move forward, would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26? It's page 457 in your Bibles, 457 in the Bibles that were handed to you. Page uh, Proverbs 12, 26. I want to talk about friends. The majority of our message will remain on the last two sections uh, about choosing your friends wisely and choosing your relationships wisely. But we begin with friendships, and I think the Bible says it very clear here. Solomon says, a righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Would you pray with me for the word this morning? Heavenly Father, would you open up our eyes that we might be able to see what it is you're trying to tell us? And then once we see it, would we be able to grasp it? That we would lock it in our hearts and that we would begin to alter to be like you and none other. That Father, as much as we follow the example of men as they follow you, May our eyes constantly be gazing at the cross and only glancing at men. And Lord, may we remain dedicated to you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A righteous man is cautious in friendship. I have a difficult personality in wrestling with this because I'm a people-oriented guy. I'm the kind of guy that... uh, I want to be with people all the time. I really enjoy people, and I can be your best friend instantly. It's kind of a weird way of relating with people, but literally, if I meet you immediately, you give me basically an hour with you, and I'll be ready to die for you. Because I immediately enter into your world, I shut everything else out, and I find out who you are, and I live it. Now, that's just a personality style of mine. So what it does is it puts me in harm's way, because I'll want to go grab all kinds of friends. 
I want to grab people all the way around me. And what that did is it put me in danger of a certain group of friends. You have to understand, here's my personality. I love the idea of making people laugh. I love the idea of engaging with people, talking with people, connecting with people, having fun with people. I want to be the one that always starts fun stuff for everybody. I'm the one that wants to lead and guide people and have people be really impressed by me. And you know what that does in the party environment? You understand the danger there? Growing up throughout all high school, early on, people would always invite me to every party. Now, because I always said no, they stopped asking and there was a reason I said no, because I knew that if I was put in a certain situation, I was doomed. I knew I was not strong enough to resist once I was there, so I couldn't go there. You guys have to remember that in your lives, you're not superheroes. You have to neither overestimate nor underestimate yourself. You have to figure out where you're strong and where you're weak and compensate for it. I couldn't handle it because if you get me in a party environment and everybody's drinking, what do you think I'm going to do? Of course, I'm going to drink and I'm going to drink a little bit more than everybody else. And if you get me around drugs and the environment's bumping and everybody's going crazy, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to do a line like everybody else. The idea is, is that my personality is to try to engage at all times. And I would never want to be the guy left out in the corner. That's not me. So I could not get in that environment ever because I couldn't handle it. That's called avoidance, and that's okay. I think that many of us need to do a little bit more of that as opposed to playing the tough guy role and thinking we can handle everything and finding out later on that it destroyed our lives. As we look into this stuff, we need to realize the power of ethos. Ethos is the tribal peer pressure that everyone has. For example, in this church... There's a bunch of, there's a lot of differences here. There's a lot of intercultural mixing. There's a lot of different backgrounds denominationally. But we still have kind of a, kind of a groove that we hold. All right. Now, for example, I grew up in the charismatic movement. And in the charismatic movement, things are a lot different than they are here. Okay. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that started going kind of after I got out of that, and it was a little bit more on the extreme side, was flag teams. Anybody ever heard of a flag team? Okay, flag teams are a time in worship where you give somebody a banner and they carry the flags and they run around the congregation. Woo! And they run around during worship and they're waving their flags. It's the idea of honoring the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you it's right or wrong. I'm telling you it's different. Here's what would happen. So imagine Jeremy's up here leading and we're all singing a song. A few people are clapping, apparently. And as, and as everyone is worshiping the Lord, someone just decides to break out their flag. Okay, now I don't know how you got the flag in past the security guards out front, but you pull out a flag, you quickly erect the flag, you now have the flag, and you begin to run around the congregation as fast as you can. All the rest of us will stop singing, we will stop clapping, and we will stare at you and go, what is your problem? And you will stop waving your flag. That's called peer pressure. Every group has it. Every group has an ethos that shapes what is acceptable and what is unacceptable at that time. doesn't matter about what's right and wrong. It's what you deem acceptable at the time. You have to realize that your friends create that around you. Your spouse creates that around you, and they are shaping you like clay at all times. There are two types of friends Proverbs tells us to avoid. The first I put in the category of the wicked, and there are two types of wicked. 
the predators and the perverts, the predators and the perverted. And here's what I mean by those definitions. Would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter one, verse 10, page 449? It's probably not what you're thinking. But I think that Proverbs has an awful lot to say about these folks. And you will probably have less of these folks in your life than the next category, but we still must address it. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, page 449 says this. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We'll get all sorts of valuable things and we'll fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. Yet these men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. Look at Proverbs 2, 12. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And finally, 4.14. Proverbs 4.14. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. For they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Now listen, these are the groups. The first group, the wicked, the predators, the perverted. These are not normal folks. These are folks that cannot live without causing damage. These are people that are so highly dysfunctional that they have slipped into an evil mindset that they do not think anything is fun until you've gone way beyond the limit of acceptability. These are the folks that breed on the violence against other people. They get a rush from destroying another person. Now, I would venture to say that most of you, the great majority of you, have weeded these folks out of your life a long time ago. Otherwise, you would not be here. Why? Because they would not allow you to be here. You understand what I'm saying? But still, some of us have connection to people who in their minds, it's so twisted that they see evil as good and good as evil. And they consistently look for ways to tear other people down, whether it's because of their own anger and self-hatred or whatever reason it is. They seek to destroy those people we must avoid. Now, the second category I refer to as the confused, and they will be far more familiar to you. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 20, verse 19? When the Bible talks about these groups, it's talking about groups like the rebellious. Now, some folks that are rebellious are not rebellious to be evil. They're rebellious because they think that everybody else is stupid. 
They're rebellious because they want to bang their head against the system over and over and over again. And you look at him and you just go, oh, what a poor little messed up person. And you pat him on the head. Some rebellious people just don't get it. Okay? We need to avoid those folks. And there's also the unfaithful. These are people that may well have grown up in an environment that was so unhealthy, no one's ever kept a promise around them. No one ever kept to their word. And so they've never learned what character is, what integrity is. Unfortunately, sometimes those folks are so toxic, we have to distance ourselves. But there's five categories that Proverbs highlights that I think are very, very common in our world, especially in this church and the people that are around us. So I wanted to highlight those, the first of which are gossips. And we pick that up in Proverbs 20, verse 19. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. You know those folks that you're hanging out with and you're spending time with, whether it's a dinner party or whether or not you're hanging out with some friends, whether you're at coffee with some ladies or whether the gentlemen are spending time together, that by the time they get done talking, you feel like you've learned way more than you ever wanted to know. As a matter of fact, you feel a little bit dirty because you're like, now I know everything about everybody. Now I don't know if I was supposed to know that because now I look at them differently. And they're sharing so much information. They didn't come across like they were trying to be evil. They just kept going, you'll never believe what I heard. Do you understand what I'm saying? When someone starts out like that, you know that they're in a rush to try to share information and make you go, ooh. That's their whole point. So we need to step away from those folks and say, wait a second. Gossip at its heart, and we're going to talk about that much in a different series i mean a different lesson in the series we're going to talk about what gossip is and it is not but gossip is malicious i'm even talking about people that just talk too much and share too many words and they keep giving information they shouldn't give those people we must avoid the second category is in proverbs 22:10 these i believe are found even more often in a bit of the older crowd it says this Drive out the mocker, and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. Okay, here we go. Gentlemen, you're sitting around. All Most of you are retired, and you're kicking back having donuts and coffee. And then Bert shows up. Whoever Bert is, I'm just making it up. Bert shows up, and he comes up to the table, and all the guys go, What's up, Bert? And then all of a sudden, everyone starts talking about the environment. They're talking about the recession. And some of the guys just begin to say, you know, I think we're probably pulling out of it. You know, I feel like we've kind of maybe hit the low on some of the markets. And it maybe looks like there's a few trends that are lifting out. And the guys are like, eh, maybe. And then Bert starts talking. And Bert's like, nope, it's all getting worse. Everything's getting worse. And you know what? All these people that say it's getting better are just stupid. And you're like, Bert. Bro, why you got to be all negative all the time? What's that all about? And then the minute you start to talk about someone else, hey, did you hear about that outreach that was going on downtown? They were trying to reach out to the homeless, and they were trying to feed some people. You know what? Homeless are stupid, too. You know what? They all asked for it. That's what they did. Nobody needs to be a homeless. I wasn't homeless. And then on and on. They will mock any help that anyone tries to give, any positive that tries to go on. They're going to shoot it down. Okay. We don't like that guy. And either you need to call his behavior or you need to step aside and let him go his own way. The third category that is mentioned is the short tempered Proverbs twenty two twenty four. 
Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Okay, here's a different guy or gal. They, they wrestle with road rage. Okay, so every time they show up, they come in a huff. You can't believe why I got here so late. I can't believe it. Man, everybody out in the street is a moron. It's I lost 10 minutes on my drive time because somebody doesn't know how to drive. Oh, I'm a student driver. Look at my little sign on the top of my car. I can't believe I'm slowing you down. I hate those people. And they just go off and they're exploding all the time. Well, at first you look at them and you go, wow, you really need to mellow out. And then after a while, you're driving and you're going, did they just cut me off? What? Oh, no, you did not just slow me down. I can't believe you got in that lane. And now all of a sudden you start getting all irritated. Now, what happens is, and you guys have all felt this, you're at work, and there's all this negativity and everyone's popping off and getting angry and they're on phone calls and everybody's vicious and you're trying to keep it at bay. You're trying not to get into it. And then you go home. The minute you walk through the door, what happens? Your child says something wrong, boom, you just explode right off the top. And you're like, where did that come from? Because you've been absorbing all this anger over and over and over again. Eventually, it begins to wear in your spirit. You've got to be careful about who you're hanging with. The fourth category actually surprised me. Proverbs 23.6. I thought this was interesting that Solomon would highlight this gentleman or lady. Proverbs 23.6. Do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who's always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart's not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten, and you will have wasted your compliments. There you go. Here's how this one looks. You and your wife want to go to dinner, and so you're thinking about who you wanted to go to dinner with, and so there's this couple that you're kind of like, well... Well, no one else is home. <laughs> you go to the speed dial. And you finally, you're like, all right. And sure enough, they're like, yeah, we'd love to go to dinner with you. And they go to dinner with you, and they kind of light talk a little bit and everything. And then the check comes. And the first thing they do is go, ah, let me get that. Let me get that. They grab the check, and they pay for it, and then they hold it over your head for the next six months. And the only thing they care about, they don't care about blessing you and being generous to you. The only thing they care about is now you owe them. Because I got one over on you. I paid for your dinner. Hey, look at me. I'm better than you are. That type of person is not present with you in the conversation. The whole time they're going, eh, you going to eat a little bit more there? Yeah, what are you going to do there? Oh, you're going to have dessert. Oh, I see. Okay. Why don't we all just have dessert then? Okay. When someone is constantly calculating the cost, their selfishness is eating them alive and they cannot even love anymore. The final category I call the overindulgers. It's in Proverbs 23:19. Listen, my son, and be wise and keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Here's how it works for a bit of the older crowd is that you have a couple that every time they come over for dinner, even though you don't drink, they bring wine, and they have to get lit every time you hang out. And you constantly are going, are we that boring that you have to get completely hammered to hang out with us? Is that the problem? I mean, I realize my wife is kind of like, wah, wah, wah. but still, you don't have to constantly drink. Okay, here's the point. When you are dealing with someone that is constantly 
locked in addiction all over the place, you realize they're not even with you either. You are just an excuse to do what they need to do. And those are not friends that you need to associate with. Because what's happening is they end up using you and that's not fair. As we move through this list, Proverbs steps into an area of saying how we can avoid these people. And how we need to maybe deal with some of these difficulties. I found uh, about five of them, but I wanted to just highlight three of them for you this morning. The first one I would say that we need to do in dealing with these types of friends is we need to resist the temptation to join. Because sometimes, honestly, you want to do it more than they do. You guys have to understand, we can't live in a world where everyone else is bad and we're the only good guys. That's completely inaccurate. We are just as wicked as everybody else. And sometimes we're the problem. But when you're trying to resist a temptation, I believe there's three crucial temptations that come into play with friends that we need to be aware of. The first one is the enticement of the rush. For example, maybe for the younger crowd, it would be something like, let's go rip off a car. You're like, what? Why would you do that? It's fine. Come on. It's not like the cops. Okay. The cops do. We can outrun them. Look at this. I got this worked out. Let's just go out. Now you understand. It's not that you want the car. You understand that when you rip off a car, the point is not to keep the car. That'll just get you into trouble. The point is to joyride it and ditch it, right? That's the whole point of it. Or you sell it to a chop shop. The point is not to keep the car. You don't want the car. You want the rush of doing it. So you hop in there, see how fast you can do it. Everybody's laughing. Everybody's nervous. There's a rush about it. And you take off. And, oh, my gosh, I thought, did you see the cops? And they were driving the other way. And there's this crazy hype about it. That's one enticement. Maybe for the little bit older crowd, your investment group, all your friends decide to get involved in an investment that you know is completely wrong. It's corrupt. But it'll make you some money. But everybody is doing it and you realize, you know what, I might want to join in. And it's kind of the rush of the idea of what if we got away with it? I don't actually need the money now that I'm thinking about it, but this would be kind of crazy. You know, I've done something like this in a while. Whatever it is, the enticement is the rush. Same thing happens with gossip. You don't try to tear someone down. But you like the idea of everyone paying attention to you when you talk. The second category that we need to watch out for is the enticement of brotherhood. Which is the idea that when all your friends do it, you don't want to be the one rejected and left out, right? You don't want to be the odd man out. If everybody's doing it, you want to step in too. Sometimes you'll do things that you are horrified by just because your brothers do it or just because your sisters do it. The third thing is the act of getting what you want. Sometimes you will do things that you hate the process, but you want the end result. Prime example for the young people, the latest video game series out are the Wii games, right? The wireless system. Uh, let's say that every time they go to school, every one of their friends talks about this new Wii game. And that's all the whole conversation. Every lunch period, that's exactly what it's about. And you can't join in because you don't have one. Everyone's like, oh, it was so awesome, and you should have seen this, and we could have done this, and all this stuff. Well, sure enough, you finally go, you know what? I have to get it. My family can't afford it, but I have to get it because I want to join in, and I want the game. 
So you go into Walmart, and even though you know some of the people at Walmart, and everybody's always been so cool there, you decide to rip it off anyway. When you get a little bit older, that happens in taxes. Is the idea of going, you know what? I don't want to rip off the government, but I really badly need a few extra figures on the end of that number right there. If I can get this return, we can finally do this. And so you fudge the numbers a little bit to make sure it works out well for you. We're all wrestling with it no matter how old we get. We're wrestling with all three of these enticements, and at some point we have to say no. At some point we have to say, I want to do it actually more than all my friends want to do it. I want to do it really, really bad. Inside me, I'm craving to get something, but I have to say no. I refuse to go there. So the first one is resisting temptation. The other two ways to avoid these types of friends and what they do is to think through the consequences. We have to understand the idea of cause and effect. What if you do get away with it? By the way, real quick side note, how many people in prison do you believe thought they had a foolproof plan? Okay, fantastic. All right, good. It's probably not foolproof, but let's say it is. Let's say it is foolproof. Let's say you're going to get away with it. Absolutely. Nobody's going to bust you for it. Can you live with that? See, sometimes we're only thinking immediate. We're going, well, am I going to get caught? Getting caught is actually the least of your problems. The greatest of your problems is living with regret. So if you do get away with it, are you okay with who you've become now? You've got to think through that stuff. The third one is very simply avoiding them entirely. That is the most common recommendation in Proverbs about all the issues that we wrestle with. Avoid it entirely. Now, that you can't always do that. But sometimes you have to call it and say, I cannot be around this anymore. Enough is enough. All right. Having said all of that, I got one last thought for you on selecting friends and the friends that you have. Proverbs 29:27. Could you turn there with me, please? Proverbs 29:27. I would like you to maybe chew on this throughout your week and consider this. It says the righteous detest the dishonest. The wicked detest the upright. Okay, here's my question for you. Why are your friends okay spending time with you? Uh, you guys ever heard the old phrase, birds of a feather flock together? You guys remember that? You might be a little different bird than you thought. Why are your friends okay with you? Because here's what I always hear. Man, how in the world did you guys all get busted by the cops? Well, you know what? I'm the only one going, come on, we shouldn't do this. Okay, Really? Every time you're the only one? Well, that's fascinating. Why are they letting you hang out with them? If you are really as righteous as you play yourself off to be, then why are all your wicked friends completely cool with you hanging out with them? Don't you understand you'd pretty much cramp their style? At some point, you have to examine your friends, and if they're all of a similar nature, then so are you. Because there is not a drastically different guy that can last for very long. They'll just squeeze you out. And I don't care how old you are, but if all your friends are whiners and complainers, guess what you might be? Probably not as positive as you thought you were. Because they're still comfortable hanging out with you. We have to examine a little bit of a who we're with and why they're okay with us. Final category, bad women. Yeah, here we go. 
bad relationships. Ladies, this is obvious. Do you not realize that there are just as many, if not more, men that are out there that are, for the younger generation, the players? The guys that are out there that are just trying to use women, they're trying to go from one conquest to another, and they're traveling through. Listen, the only reason they're not highlighted in Proverbs is because in this day and age, the men taught the men, and the women taught the women. So this is a male writer. He's going to write to men. So he's going to say, beware of the bad women. Now, understand, this is not just a God thing. This is not even a morality thing. What do I mean? I mean, at the same time this is being written, Egypt... A godless nation was writing their wisdom literature, had nothing to do with God. And you know what they wrote about? Avoid these types of women. Same exact thing, but for them it was pure economics. Their idea was, she'll ruin you. Why do you want to do that? Get away from her. Okay, so the point is, this is a matter of wisdom. Who are you putting your heart with is the question. And why? You'll notice there are three categories of women that I have on that list. They go for men as well. It is the wayward spouse or the wayward wife or the wayward husband, the people with a wandering eye. That would be one category. Prostitutes are the second category. Third category are just unhealthy people. And we'll talk about those by reading through Scripture. Would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1? As you're turning there, just listen to me for a moment. You guys know a little bit about how Solomon finished his walk? Did he finish strong or weak? Weak. He completely fell apart. Why? Women. Okay. At the end of his life, if you've read 1 Kings chapter 11, you realize that Solomon, when all was said and done, he had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. Now, I don't know if you're keeping track, but that's a lot. I have one. Okay. So you've you got to work at it. To actually get that many that's quite a few okay and now th this guy's giving us wisdom at some point you're kind of going it's kind of a do as i say not as i do thing right okay yeah this guy got so caught up with it it says at the end of his life they had turned his heart why because of the influence his foreign wives the wives that were not following the lord turned his heart away from god and he never came back home yet his dad king david you remember that? His dad, King David, ended his life as the apple of God's eye. But what is his most famous failure? What do you remember? Bathsheba, a woman. What's the difference between David and Bathsheba and Solomon and his wives? Because David came home to Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? David, when he messed up, repented and returned to the Lord. And refocus back on God. Do you understand that God is a God of restoration? God is a God of healing. God is a God that allows return. God is a God that wants things back even better than they were before. But if you never come home and you just keep doing what you're doing and you never stop to look around, you're going to end badly. And that's the difference between the two gentlemen. We pick up this question of what type of women are we talking about in Proverbs 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom and listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life and her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. 
Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. And you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I've come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the assembly. Proverbs 6.23 For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the correction of discipline are the way of life. Keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife, do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let it captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Proverbs 7, verse 4. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice and I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young man, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk, and all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose. Till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing that it would cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Here's my view. The only difference between a prostitute and an adulterer is one has better business sense. Somebody made money. Then somebody didn't. As we know, there are predators, there are sexual predators that are seeking to rob you of what you have. And you might be them. They may dwell right here in our midst. We may be a little part of us, predators ourselves, wanting to be filled up by another person, wanting to use another person for our benefit. I understand that temptation. Please don't ever mark the idea of an affair, of sex out of marriage, as something that will never happen to you. Because then you are proud and you might fall. 
Please understand that people smarter than you, more godly than you, have fallen in the exact same way. And we are all subject to this temptation. You guys, I'm so paranoid about this stuff. I have to put in certain guidelines in my life so that it doesn't happen to me. Will it? I don't know. But I'm going to do my best that it never does. And I'm going to pray that it never does. But I don't assume that I'm away from it. See, here's the thing. When I look at this, Solomon was the most brilliant man that ever lived. And he didn't cut it. Because knowing the right thing to do and doing the right thing are vastly different. And even if it's someone that's not a predator. Proverbs 31 verse 3 says, Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. Sometimes there's just men and women that are so unhealthy, they're going to wreck you. Those of you that are single, listen to me very carefully. I say this all the time. I'm going to say it until it irritates you, which probably happened last time. But anyway, I'll say it again. I'm tired of hearing this phrase. Oh, I don't care if he's a believer or not. We're just dating. It's not like I'm going to marry the guy. Okay, real quick heads up, genius. You're going to marry the last person you date. You understand what I'm saying? Everyone putting this together. It's hard to get married without dating. Unless you want to do an arranged marriage through the mail, you're probably going to date them. So I'm tired of hearing this idea where you think that you're completely in control of everything. You are not. It's far more accidental than you might imagine. You must guard who you're spending your time with and who you're placing your heart in. Because I've had way too many people in my life do things like, I don't really like this guy. He's a bad guy. Wait, now I'm pregnant. This went way further than I ever imagined. And I can't back up. Okay, here's the deal. We need to be very, very careful on who we invest our lives in. Because they may well ruin us. You understand what I'm saying? And for those of you that are married, you must guard your eyes. Here's the thing. When you are engaging with other people and talking with them, you've got to make sure that perhaps you need to maintain eye contact, but not too long. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are rules of engagement in our society about how you end up flirting with other people. And you don't want to be that guy or that girl that is known as, oh, he's the married guy that's constantly flirting with all the other married women. And you don't want to be the lady that's always known by everybody as she's the one trying to get every other guy in the room to get his eyes off his wife and onto her. That's not the type of people we need to be as children of God. I understand the temptation, but remember, sin is wanting to fill a legitimate need, the need to be wanted, by an illegitimate means. I understand you have a legitimate need. I'm just telling you, can we meet it by a legitimate way as opposed to hurting people in the process? As I close out, the ways to get out of some of this stuff may be as simple as get your eyes back on your spouse, like Proverbs 5 says. Get refocused on your wife, the wife of your youth. Or maybe it's as extreme as Joseph's story. Do you remember how Joseph ran? You remember that when Joseph, this Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, we got four generations away from Abraham, he walked in and his boss's wife grabbed him and she said, have sex with me now. It doesn't get any clearer than that. And she grabbed onto his clothes and wouldn't let him go. 
Gentlemen, what did he do? He ran. And he left his cloak behind. And he took off. And you know what? He looked like a pansy. And you know what? It's the best thing he ever did. I don't know what it's going to take in your life for you to remain faithful. I don't know what it's going to take in your life for you to remain chaste. But I do know this. If you hang out with certain people, you're never going to make it. We've got to watch it. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for a challenge and also some understanding and insight and wisdom into the world around us. That, Father, we know we must be wise, and yet, Lord, for some of us, it seems a bit overwhelming. I ask that you would categorize it and slow it down into bite-sized pieces that we could dine on wisdom today. That we would leave here changed people and transformed. And, Father, that you would be glorified, not only in our actions, but in our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.